Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles? That you're isolated and alone? Like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search Living Fearless Today on Facebook and uh, then just click to join us, I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth, and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello, my friend. Welcome again. I am so, so ecstatic to have Marshall Cease Jr. here. Marshall is an amazing man. He, in his life, I don't know how he does it. He must have a shoehorn more than 24 hours. I don't know. I think he's kind of gamifying it, getting 36 in somewhere. But Marshall is a man of many talents and has just done an amazing job. So Marshall, welcome. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on. I've been looking forward to this for a while. My pleasure. Hey, can we start off and just have you tell us like where you're at now? What does the business side look like? What does personal life look like? And build from there. Yeah, absolutely. So today I am living with my girlfriend in Las Vegas, Nevada, which was a place I never thought I'd be living and been here for about a year doing doing things for money. I never thought I'd be doing for money. So I currently create viral videos on social media and that is our primary business model right now. So that is, that's relatively new. And I also, you know, my long-term plan and vision is in the world of screenwriting and directing. So I, you know, I actively write screenplays, whether they're features or television show treatments. And for the past couple of years, I've been actively pitching those through various production companies and fingers crossed that, you know, one of them gets across the goal line here, but that's, you know, that's the long-term play. And then I also have a website called spartanartists.com where I'm trying to put out a little bit of my journey and some of the things I've picked up along the way that have allowed me to continue pursuing a creative lifestyle, even though I started my life as a lawyer and kind of what, you know, what do you need to do to, to stay in the game long enough to see some of the things you, you want to see manifest themselves. I'm glad you clarified all of that when you said <laughs> you're in Vegas doing things you never thought you'd do <laughs> for money, <laughs> because having lived in Vegas, it's like, Marshall, what exactly are you doing? So <laughs> standing on street corners uh, is a little hush hush. Please don't tell the government, but it's working out. So what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas as the <laughs> saying goes, right? Well, they've switched that now, right? So now it's they're they're making a big marketing push. It's what happens in Vegas only happens in Vegas. 
to try to kind of drive to the uniqueness and some of the amazing residencies they have. They're getting away from the come live a life of debauchery and more about live a life of entertainment. So something unique instead of shady, huh? <laughs> Bingo. Gotcha. Oh man. So with Spartan, can you talk about that a little more like what you're doing there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, right now it's it's very much in kind of a, a bit of a beta stage. I only have one product, which is kind of a, a mini course. It's about two and a half hours, four modules. And it's really focused on mindset because as somebody who has spent the lion's share of his life, you know, doing something slightly more traditional for a, you know, for money, but still dreaming of living a more creative life and, you know, whether they're rock star dreams or, you know, movie star dreams, whatever those things might be, enabling myself to continue along that path, knowing fully well that, that those things just take a long time. And, you know, I think as when I was younger, I had this delusion that I would just get discovered and just kind of whisked away into the, into the, you know, the realm of stardom. And, and it's not to say that doesn't ever happen for anybody, but it is such the minority, you know, a wildly the minority. And you start to reverse engineer famous people, whether they're producers, directors, actors, writers, musicians, and you realize just how long they've been doing this and, and giving themselves the time to grow and pivot and meet the right people and get to the right stage before they ever really make it. And so uh, the key is really just kind of staying in long enough. And that's, you know, the course is an encouragement to help people understand what do they need to do to provide, you know, get that for themselves, to stay in the game long enough to, to see what they want happen from a creative perspective. Now, before Vegas, you were in Nashville, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And- I was there for about a year. Okay. Is that something that you saw that was pretty normal as far as like musicians coming in and like just going, going along, going along and, and finally just burning out like what you're talking about with the mindset, like how you're, you're focused on longevity and staying in the game. Is that something you saw that was a struggle while you were back there? For sure. I, I, and even before I went, I had a lot of friends who had moved up there, you know, to give it a go, whether it's as a, as an artist or as a songwriter or both. And Nashville has kind of a a saying that it's a, in the music world, it's a 10 year town. And that's kind of well, well known throughout the industry. And, you know, it's just, no matter when you move there, you have to presume it's going to take you 10 years to what that might be to meet the right people, to be ingratiated into the community, or sometimes just to get good enough, because it is where the best of the best live, play, and write. And, you know, it's, I think a lot of the reason why, at least for me, why I stayed and have stayed in the creative industry for so long is because I perpetually think I'm better than I am. And that's okay because it keeps me going. And so, so long as I stay open to feedback and growth and like recognizing when it's not quite good enough and just not letting that bring me down, but giving, you know, letting that encourage me to keep going. I think that's the key. But yeah, a lot of people move to Nashville thinking it's just, it's going to happen quickly. And it's just, that's just not really how the world works. And it seems like that'd be a pretty valuable as well, like doing the, the videos that you guys are doing now, because a lot of people do think, hey, I'm just going to do one or two videos. It'll go viral and boom, life will change. But 
that's that's not the norm, right? No, I mean we are, you know, we are in the literally in the business of viral videos, and for us, I actually just did the analytics on this the other day to see, you know, it's one in nine videos for us goes viral, and and that's you know, but that's it's never necessarily the ones that you think are going to. So it's, you know, it's, and it's impossible to just release smash hit after smash hit after smash hit. It just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And, you know, it's one of those things too, where, you know, I would say our, the success we've had from a view perspective and a view count has been quick as far as how long we've been doing it for, but it hasn't because it's everything that Hillary and I have both done in life for the last 10 years that has enabled us to do what we're currently doing with the viral videos, you know, and, and everything. I always like to say life is cumulative. And I think it's easy for people to get down on themselves because they feel like, well, I, I'm going to quote unquote, start over, you know, and for somebody who has theoretically started over five times now, I've realized there really is no such thing because you always bring everything that you have with you to the next venture. Right. And, that, and that's great to, to, to put there in, in the front of that is it's not like you, you don't get insert another quarter kind of start over. It's your, like you talked about, it, it's a cumulative thing. You're carrying over who you were. You may go in a different direction, but it's still you. So you, you said you've done five different things. Can yeah. you kind of give like a, a list of that? I know like where you started and where you're at now, that, that's probably not where you're at now is not what you dreamed of it as a five-year-old. So can you walk us through sure. that? Sure. So I, I started my career as an attorney. So I went straight through college to law school and I was an attorney for about seven years. The first two of which maybe eight, I'm somewhere in the seven to eight range, the first two of which were at a large, larger firm. And then I kind of, you know, this was looking back, this was crazy, but at the, you know, ripe old age of 26, decided to start my own law firm and, and get away from the, from the big firm doing the little amount of work I knew how to do in the kind of the contract world and was able to, was able to grow that and spent about three years building that practice and joining up with a couple other partners ultimately getting hired in-house by one of my biggest clients, which was a, a global consulting company kind of in the technology space. And I was their general counsel for about three more years. Mm. So I saw law from what in my perspective was every perspective you could have. And while I loved the people at the company I was in-house at, it just, it became very clear that it wasn't the future of my life. I just, I was cut from a, a different cloth, not not the kind that, you know, wanted to continue working up the ladder and, and, and specifically kind of continue doing actual legal work. You know, I liked the impact I had on the business. I loved the strategic elements of things, but I didn't love the actual practice of law. Mm. So I left and I kind of had a choice. I could either try to do the songwriter thing and possibly even move to Nashville at that stage of my life. Or I had a, uh, an idea for a tech company that was, this is back in 2008, when Zynga was very popular on Facebook with games like Cityville and Farmville. And I've, you know, as a creator, I'm really passionate about inspiring people to create whatever they want to create, just like you create on the barbecue grill. Like there's, mm -hmm. when you, when you create anything, 
I truly believe that you tap into the higher power, whatever term you put for that. And, and there is a direct connection and that it's fulfilling and inspiring. And so I saw that capability in these social games on Facebook, but I felt like it was a, it was being squandered because how proud can you really be about your fake farm with purple cows? But I have five Being purple lover, cows, Marshall. Come on. <laughs> Come on. How many friend requests did you get around that? So I, you know, I had this idea that you could use the same kind of social gaming mechanics to create a game where people could make music. And by very simply dragging and dropping colored blocks together like they were Legos, but you were just attaching different pieces of music, whether they were your favorite songs or just kind of, you know, general music that we had in the game. And and through the gameplay, you got to make music and you could actually be proud of that. And you might want to share that more. So I that was an idea that just quite literally overtook me. I was actually, I was already thinking entrepreneurially. I wanted to get out of law. I was starting a training company that was, I was actually going to sell the training services to law firms. It was a good business model, but I just wasn't particularly passionate about the subject matter. And then this came along and it was just like, I, I don't, you know, it's like, well, you could go climb this hill over here, Marshall. It's not going to take very long. Or, hey, here, here's Everest. Like, oh, Everest looks great. Let's go do Everest, you know? <laughs> And it just, it was more exciting and more fulfilling. And I was more passionate about the concept. And that, that changed my life. I mean, I, I, I literally uprooted my life. I ended my engagement. I rented out my house and I quit my job to focus on this tech company idea all in the span of about six months. And so through that, I learned, you know, just it, it, what it takes to bring something from idea to real life. And that that was, it was really powerful to be able to have just this vague notion, this concept of something that you want to exist in the world, knowing that you can't do it on your own. And to be able to convince people, whether they're, you know, more talented than you in a certain area, or whether they're going to finance the project or whoever it is, you know, to come on board and, and join you in this mission. Like that was, that was an amazing learning experience. Terrifying in a lot of ways, but incredible growth. Yeah, I can imagine. What what was it that like you were what kind of feedback were you getting from like your your friends, your parents, like what how were they reacting to the change that happened? You know, I mean, I parents always want the best for their kids and parents always have a very clear vision of what they think that looks like. And so it's 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 a, it's a rare gem in parenting when when parents can separate themselves from their own idea and allow themselves to just, you know, follow the, the, their kids on the ride that they want to they wanna build. And so I think it was difficult on them at first because, you know, it's, it, it's I can imagine it'd be hard watching somebody you love who has such a, a clear and frankly easy future to continue, you know, the level that I got to in law. So at such a young age, that would, there would have been zero risk. You know, parents can sleep easy at night when they know that there's, there's zero risk. Or you can kind of, you know, give it all up and go, go chase your dream. Now I was blessed in that my father was a kind of a bit of a blessing and a curse because my father was always had an entrepreneurial spirit and was just never able to get the success that he wanted from an entrepreneurial perspective. However, it was that same entrepreneurial spirit that led him from selling airtime to becoming one of the first morning anchors for the weather channel. 
back in the mid eighties. And he remained their, their morning anchor on the weather channel for 25 years and got to live a dream that he wasn't, didn't even really know that, that he had and, you know, wouldn't have gotten there, but for some of the entrepreneurial mistakes that he made. So I, he, there was certainly a level of understanding, but because of, you know, the struggles that he had had, it's hard to wish those struggles onto your kid. So it was, you know, it was kind of a mixed bag of, you know, hope and fear, like, like life often is. Gotcha. So you've got the tech company and you're working on, on launching a game. Where did things go from there? So we spent probably about, about a little over a year. It was about a 14 month product cycle for us in building the team, raising the funding. I mean, raising funding itself took about, you know, nine months for the, for the seed round all the while trying to slowly chip away at this thing. And then we launched it and oh, I'm sorry, I didn't start it. In, I was wrong about the 2008. We started this in 20, end of 2010. So 2011 was really the first year. And then we launched it at South by Southwest in early 2012. And that was, then we were off to the races and it was, you know, we, we had great user adoption quickly, but we were having trouble making money. So it's, it's all about trying to figure out how to make money. We, we ended up releasing a total of five products over about four years. And unfortunately, just never quite cut through. We had one of our biggest investors after about four years pull out very unexpectedly, leaving us without any runway and had to kind of quickly juke and jive to try to, I tried to fire sale the company. I was unsuccessful in doing so. And so things kind of just fizzled out, unfortunately. And that was, that was another point in my life where the girl I was dating at the time broke up with me. My company collapsed all within the span of a couple months. And that's when I freaked out and went to Spain to hike the Camino de Santiago. Okay. We got to hear more about that because Camino is very long and intense. Yeah. So what was your experience on Camino? Hmm. So it was, it was transformative. I theme my years. I've been doing this for well over a decade now where I choose a single word to kind of act as an overarching theme to my year. Cause I was never a big resolutions fan. And this was, this is 2014 and it was my year of physicality because I felt like I'd been living life in my head too much and I needed to live more of life in my body. So I was, you know, after the kind of the, the tragic ending of some of the most important things in my life, I was like, well, I'm just going to go chill on the beach somewhere for a little while and let's get my head screwed on straight. And interestingly enough, it was my ex-fiance from the last life transformation that suggested I needed to move and I should go do the, the Camino. Two weeks after that conversation, I was on the Camino and I, you know, I, I booked out some things from a travel guy just because I wanted to have a couple waypoints built in. The whole thing takes about five weeks and I unfortunately didn't have that kind of time. So I, I had about two weeks that I could commit to it. So I started in Astorga, which is around the halfway point. And I had no hiking experience. So, you know, I went to REI for like the first time in my life and bought a hiking backpack and hiking socks and a hiking shirt and hiking pants and like whatever I thought I needed, totally neglecting shoes, thinking my tennis shoes will be just fine. So long as I have the socks, that's the most important thing. So I pack my hiking backpack chock full of far too many things, and then decide that it's a good idea that I bring my travel guitar, 
which weighs about another 15 pounds because I'm going to, I'm going to write like the greatest American album on the Camino. And uh, I wrote one song, one song. (laughs) So how did you go from within a two week period of I've heard about the Camino. Now I'm going to go do the Camino. I mean, like what drew you to that? so intensely decisions like that are are never made with your head the planning was done with my head but you know it's it's really a matter of getting in touch with that kind of stiller more quiet voice that that's deep in your core and you know it when you feel it you know it's one of those things that there was the second that came out of you know her mouth you need to go do the camino my i mean this the in interior core of my being said yes mm. and, and then it was just like well i mean this is the time frame i have because otherwise I'm, I'm pretty soon i'm gonna have to start you know figuring out how to make money and start life over again so so i need to go i need to go do this now and and then it's just a matter of you know i i like to binge at the beginning of things you know and and research the crap out of stuff so that's what I that's what I did and and kind of figured out where where it made sense for me to start and places that I want to stay along the way and then just you know getting the right tools and next thing I know you know I'm at the I'm about to take my first step so how old are you at this point 34 dude that's like just intense kind of still seems like an intense decision to make but I it's like the way you're describing it like you have that internal that resonance where it's like i have to go do this yes what i've learned in life is you know when it comes to personal growth you know or or trying to get outside your comfort zone and see things differently that if you if if you continue with your normal life it takes a long time it just takes a long time if you shake your world up and go do something intense and and wildly outside your comfort zone it's expedited exponentially Mm. and you know i've had that same experience whether it's doing a tony robbins event or the landmark forum or these other types of intense multi-day type workshops you know when you push yourself to the limits like that you you can you can skip a few steps you know it's not that you can't get that growth in other ways you can but it generally takes long you're, you're saying, in essence, take yourself outside of your comfort zone, go do something that's, that's outside of your day-to-day and intentionally apply yourself to like pretty much put nitrous on your, on your timeline of learning. Is that correct? 100%. So take us through the Camino. I mean, you've shared this with me before. It's an amazing yeah. story. So take us through your experience on the Camino. So it, you know... I was in a I was in a dark place when I started the Camino and I you know for me my my prayer was you know god kill me or change me because I don't care which one it is at this point in time and it's it's you know I I've lived a, a very blessed life you know I there's a lot of horrible tragedies that exist in this world that I have not had in my life and I'm very blessed and lucky for that that said, we're all beholden to our own experiences and we are, our life is the only frame of reference that we have. And so for me, losing my company and losing the person I thought I was going to end up with was emotionally the hardest thing I'd ever been through. Now, that's nothing compared to what a lot of people have been through, but for me, it was, that was really difficult. And I knew 
something was going awry at kind of a fundamental level inside of me. I was, I was suffering from anxiety and suffering from depression and, you know, doing the simplest things in life felt like Herculean tasks. And it was, you know, it, I didn't want to, I couldn't continue that way. And so I was like, I, I need, I need to come back a different, like what is not going to happen is I go do this. Oh, that was fun. I come back and I'm the same person, not an option. Yeah. And, but at the same time, you don't know exactly what you need. Thankfully, life does. And so I got, I got out on the Camino and the way that I had structured my hike is I was hiking about 13 miles a day to get from like point to point. And I had run a half marathon before, you know, I was not a hiker, but I was like, I mean, if I can run 13 miles, walking, it shouldn't be hard. Carrying 40 pounds <laughs> on my back and then carrying this guitar in my hand. So I get to the end of day one and I'm in so much physical pain in my feet. I, I, I was just, I was not expecting it. It shocked me. I, I like legitimately did not think I'd be in that much physical pain. I was in decent shape. So I, you know, have a meal, sleep, wake up the next morning thinking my feet will heal overnight. I'll feel fine the next day and we'll carry on. But my feet were in so much pain mm -hmm. that I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed and walk. I was going to leave at like 8 a.m. That didn't happen. I stayed in bed till noon and then took a shot. And it was just like, it was just so much pain. I, I was seriously questioned whether or not I needed to turn back and like just end the whole thing or go for Because like, you're in rural middle of nowhere, Spain. Like, this is not, you know, you're not picking up a phone and just like calling home. So I decided I was going to give it another, another go. And I went and I walked and I, I, you know, grinned and bared it. And it was painful the next day and it did not get better. And I just, I just kept telling myself the pain will go away. The pain will go away. The pain will go away. I mean, my entire life had been pain avoidance 101. You know, like, oh, there's pain. Let's steer clear of it, you know, or like, how, how can I, how can I avoid this pain? You know, whether medication or whatever, just like distraction, anything, anything to avoid the pain. Day three, day four, same thing. I mean, it's just, it's getting to the point to where like, I would go to a doctor if I was at home and it just, it was intense. Day five was a shorter hike. It was eight miles, but it was straight up a hill, up a mountain, frankly, the highest point on the Camino of Sobrero. And I get halfway up this mountain and I'm in so much physical pain in my feet that I have to just stop, put my back down and just sit on this rock. And this isn't like the Camino isn't a highly trafficked, you know, path. Like you see people every day, but it's not like it's, it's crowded streets of New York. And so occasionally somebody would pass and be like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think so. And I just prayed and I was like, God, please just take the pain away. Like I, I want to be here. I'm not taking in the beauty. I'm missing out on, on the scenery around me because I can't focus on it because I'm in so much physical pain. The, I've meeting people from literally all over the world and I can hardly focus on the conversations because I'm in so much pain. I'm like, I don't, I don't like, I want to be able to appreciate the beauty. I want to be able to have these conversations. Please just take the pain away. And Mike, I don't, I don't know if you've ever like heard the, what I'll call the voice 
And it's, you know, that when, when you hear something that feels audible, but you know, that it wasn't, no one else heard it, but you, and that's happened three times in my life. And, and this time, all it said was the pain doesn't go away. <laughs> I was like, Come again. And, and I, and I heard the voice one more time. It just said, the pain doesn't go away. And I sat there on that mountainside having no choice, but to accept that as truth. And I was like, well, if I accept this as truth, what do I do? And if the pain doesn't go away, then I just, I have no choice, but to accept it as just a part of my life. And, and then I was like, oh, that's what I've been doing with my whole life was just missing out on it because I was too scared to lean into that pain. That's always there. And when I, when I accepted that, and true to form, the physical pain did not go away. It moved to my knees or to my shins or other places, but it did not go away. And I stopped, I stopped worrying about it. And I just started focusing on the beauty and I started focusing on the conversations I was having and the rest of the trip, man, changed my life. So nothing in your environment changed, nothing about your physical pain changed. It's still there. Like you said, maybe the location. So it was just your perspective of the situation that changed. The beauty was still there just as it had been before, but now you're focused on seeing it, right? And it all started with the, the acceptance and the embrace that I'm no longer going to try to change this thing. And you're halfway, it's like this was day five when this all happened, right? Of a two-week yep. trip. Yep. So you're either pushing forward or going backwards, but regardless, you're still going to have a, that pain for at least another five days, correct? Yep. Wow. So when you had that realization... And now you're making the, the intentional effort to see the beauty, to have those conversations. How did it impact your anxiety and depression? Did it, did it like overnight change it or did it, was it again, something intentional that you had to do the shift? It overnight changed it. I, I literally went from, you know, having to take Xanax to avoid panic attacks to never having to take a pill for anxiety or depression ever again. So did you go back into like your mental we'll say banks like your memories and look at where things were and how they they had occurred and your perspective shift on that shifted on that stuff perspective shift yes but there you know when there's no there's no looking back and that's that's another amazing lesson that i learned on the camino which is the only thing there is is your next step like when you set out knowing that you're 13 miles away from your destination there is no point in running, you know, and there's like, if you think, if you think about how you're not there yet, what are you thinking that for like seven hours? And, and so you can't, so your only choice, I mean, for, it physically forces you to focus on nothing, but like where your foot's going next and who you're walking with. If you're walking with anybody right now and where you are and what's around you, because, to think about anything else will literally drive you insane. So, you know, that's, 
And then that was a huge perspective shift because coming out of it, it, was, it wasn't that I, like I looked back on my life and had a different perspective. It was that I just, I, the way I lived daily was, was different. And you talked earlier about physicality being your word yeah. that year. Was that before you set out or after you came back? How? That was before. Yeah. I set that at the beginning of every year. And I did that and I did the Camino in June, July, like end of June, beginning of July. I'm assuming that wasn't on your radar going through all that pain physically to <laughs> bring that about. I don't think I would have said yes to the trip had I, had I thought that was going to be the case. Ig- yeah. Ignorance can be bliss. In this case, I would say it was. <laughs> yeah. So you've still got nine days ahead of you. What do those nine days look like? I mean, now you've got a different perspective. You're watching one foot in front of the other. You're still in pain, but now you're seeing the beauty of you know, your surroundings, the people you're coming across. What does that next nine days look like? I, I felt like every, every day I was taking note of life lessons. And, you know, we, we hear life lessons, whether we see them on Instagram in the form of memes or whether, you know, it's our parents or our teachers telling us, and it's great. The words are great, but something, you process it differently when you feel it physically. And so, you know, like, here's, here's, here's one, look for the signs in life, right? Like, that sounds great. Show me the signs in life. Like, yeah, like I'll keep my eyes open for the signs in life where life's trying to guide me. That's wonderful. I agree. That is hard. And until you understand and have like a metaphor for what that is physically, like you can miss the signs and you're going to miss some signs. And in the Camino, this is manifested physically because Sometimes you're walking in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes it's through a wine, you know, through a vineyard. Sometimes it's through the heart of a city on literally on a street. And, and it just, it, the, it changes. And to know that you're going the right direction, you're looking for signs and the signs can take many forms. Sometimes it's literally a spray painted yellow arrow on the ground. Sometimes it'll be a beautiful a shell tile stuck in like a cement post um, and everything in between. And there, it's not like it's constantly there. These are not like the little white lines in the street that make sure you're staying on, on the street. Like this is like once every half mile, maybe. And, and so you go a long way before you see another sign. And, and you know, there was a point to where I went the wrong way. And it wasn't until like I got probably a good half mile down the road. I was like, this doesn't seem right. And now I got to kind of like double back around at the same time. Like, and in life, I think that can be a terrifying thought, right? Like I missed the sign. I went the wrong direction. I spent a year of my life doing the wrong thing, you know? And, but when, when you're in that situation physically and you're, and I got to see stuff no one else did. Mm-hmm. I passed through houses in a cool little village that wasn't part of the trail. And it's not like I didn't get to where I was going. I I had to get to the certain little, you know, hostel, bed and breakfast, whatever to stay the night. I got there. Maybe it was an hour late, but I still got there, still stayed the night. You know, everything was fine. And 
So when things like that are just physically happening on a daily basis, you just start to immediately make those ties and those metaphors to life. And it takes just so much of the pressure off. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. So did you, did you end up finishing the Camino with your guitar? Yes. Oh, there, the man, oh, this was another super emotional moment. So one of the people I met on the Camino is a guy named Terry who uh, lives in California and he was a documentary filmmaker and he was actually filming a documentary about um, a guy in a wheelchair whose friend was pushing him. It's called I'll push you. I highly recommend you, you check it out. It's an incredible story about friendship. And so he was the director and he was about a, a day or two ahead of the actual people scouting and relaying back to his team. These are the areas I want you to focus on, get some shots here, you know, stuff like that. And I got to know him pretty well because we, we would just catch up with each other at various points in time. And here I am lugging this guitar. And, you know, this thing that was supposed to, in my mind, kind of, you know, give me this amazing record was became a burden, a physical burden. And you know, there was, there was a point to where Terry looks over and he's like, hey, can I, do you want me to carry that for you for a little bit? I was like, no, like, no, I'm, I'm not going to put my burden on you. Like, I, this was my choice. I'm fine. I'll keep carrying it. And he's like, okay. And we keep walking. Another mile down the road, he goes, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to explain this, except like, I'm, I'm, I'm being told I need to ask you again. Can I carry your guitar for a little while? And I stopped and I was like, okay, um, sure. I, I it seems this, this seems important. And so I, I gave it to him. And that physical act of handing him this, you know, small but heavy guitar <laughs> to carry. And, and, you know, he gave me his walking stick and it was, it was easier on me. And we walked side by side and he carried my burden. And, Man, just what I learned in letting go and asking for help in, you know, collaboration. It was like that stuff, just, you know, you feel it. You feel it at your deepest core. And yeah, that's, I, I, I still struggle with asking for help, but I can always go back to that, that story and remember how important that is. And I think that's something a lot of us struggle with is asking for help. And, and even when it's offered, I mean, that's something that, you know, accepting help, admitting that I need help. I mean, that's, that's been a challenge less so now than it was, but I mean, it's, it's still breaking those, those patterns, those beliefs, habits, you know, uh, accepting help doesn't make me, you know, weak. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, it makes you stronger. Yeah, exactly. And in ways that you're not expecting, I mean, yeah. It's, it's a blessing when somebody else comes alongside you like that. So when you left to go do the Camino, 
did you have any idea what you were going to do when you came back? I didn't. I I had some some inklings. So I I had <laughs> this is another crazy story. I'll tell that one in a second. But part of it was trying to wrap up the company and try to try to sell it or try to do something. So there's a little bit left on the on the tech company front. I had recently started a music project called The Tin Man because I felt like I'd had my heart ripped out for me and I was on a quest for a new one. And I'd never put music in the driver's seat before. I like to say, like, I want to, I'm going to spend a majority of my time doing music and try to try to really make a go at it. And that was going to be my, that was my kind of priority. And then I was basically consulting for friends, startup companies, you know, for money on the side. And that's how I kind of ended up getting into facilitating sales training classes for a dear friend of mine and his company, which afforded me the flexibility and time and, you know, money that I needed in order to, to actually pursue music more professionally. When you were on the community, did that give you insight and clarity as to what to do when you came back? Did things change while you were on that trip? I don't know that it gave me like a plan or clarity. Like I, I, what I, what I wanted, I wanted to come back over the heartbreak and I wanted to come back knowing exactly what I wanted to do with my life. And I got neither one of those things. But what I got was a blue a blueprint for how to live life. And that enabled me over the following months, you know, and still it took you know six to nine months after getting back from the Camino to really get over the heartbreak and to get my life pointed in a direction that felt like it was where I wanted to go. So, but I couldn't have done that. It was just impossible for me to do those things. I didn't have the right plays. So I needed, I needed that rewiring before I could advance forward. So after the Camino, you're wrapping things up with a tech company. Where do you go from there? What's your next step? So, you know, again, I started, I started to do consulting work for a couple friend of mine companies to, to pay the bills and music was what I kind of ultimately decided to focus on. And I, you know, put together a plan. I kind of sat down, I reverse engineered the paths of artists who I admired, who were kind of where I wanted to be. I looked at how long it took them to get there. I looked at how many, you know, what venues were they playing? Where were they playing when they were smaller? And I, and I, because I had come off the tech company, I decided to look at music as a business and every business has a product. And in music, the product is you have two, you've got your recorded music and you have your live show. That's about it aside from merchandise, but those are the two big drivers. So I needed to have a really good product and that wasn't going to happen overnight. You know, when I, when I got back from the Camino, I rushed to a producer friend of mine and I said, Hey, I've got some new songs. I'm ready to record them. And he looked at me and goes, no, you're not. What? He's like, they're too new. You don't know what these songs are yet. You need to let them breathe. You need to play them hundreds of times. And I thank God followed his advice. And I put a band together. We workshopped the songs over the next eight. And I said, 18 months at 18 months, I want to feel like I've got a good live show and I want to feel like I've got a record done. I want to have a record done. And, and, and I did, and I accomplished that. And over that 18 months, true to what the producer said, like the music changed, it ebbed, it flowed. The songs became what they needed to be. And they couldn't have done that if I hadn't played them hundreds of times and, you know, a bunch of different ways and, and built this, you know, collaborated with amazing musicians around it. 
And and then once I had that, the next 18 months was committed to, you know, growing that foundation, you know, getting your getting some some loyal super fans. And that's what I focused on. It was all marketing. It was a lot of people just like, I just want to go record another record. And I was able to say, no, I was like, I've got six songs. I'm just going to beat these six songs into the ground until they can't take me any further. And, you know, it was during that second 18 months that I Spotify picked it up and started, you know, putting it all over Discover Weekly. And when I was able, I got on the Billboard charts and I had a single on, you know, a number 26 for seven weeks on the Billboard Hot AC chart and stuff like that happened a year and a half, almost two years after I released the record. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, great about, you know, great learning experience for me about, you know, the music industry and how to, how to try to build a career there. So on the Camino, you heard the pain doesn't go away. How did that message how did it work through your life? What, how did that play out for you? It, I, I, I was able to, the, the biggest way is that I, I dropped expectations that it was going to be easy or that things should happen a certain way. And, you know, because all of that thinking is really just tied up in a fear that there's going to be pain or things are going to go wrong. And when you're like, yeah, there is going to be pain and things are going to go wrong. So what, you know, and like, and so then, you know, what you, you deal with whatever reality you're presented and you're no longer wrapped up in the mentality of, well, I, I messed up. I'm not good enough. I can't make it. It should have gone this way. It went that way. And the reason that did is because I'm clearly not good enough. I'm not cut out for this or whatever, you know, other self-defeating mental stories that are so easy to tell yourself and just saying like, just drop that and be like, okay, this is what happened. Okay. Well, that's not the result that I wanted. So what do I need to do next? Do I need to redo this and redo it a different way? Do I need to go a different direction? Do I like, what is it? And then, and then just do that thing. And again, knowing that that's probably not going to go right and that there's going to be some sort of pain involved in that. And you just like, as, as that becomes like your daily perspective, you're just not worried about it. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens there. It doesn't mean that it doesn't impact you. Like, it's not like I magically overcame the pain. It is just, it was just a matter of focus shift. You know, it's this, embracing the pain is not a magic way to make pain go away. <laughs> it's the pain is still there. And that's, that's the trick is just to, just to let it be. So instead of like you talked about before, like how you would avoid pain and run away from it, were you just kind of at the point of like, okay, well that happened and let's just continue moving forward. I mean, it seems like you still have a goal, like almost like a North star of where you're going for. Uh, you haven't given that up but it's just you're taking detours that might not have been planned almost like when you talked about going a half a mile you know oops i went the wrong way you're just taking this as part of the journey instead of trying to avoid it and find a less painful route is that correct yeah yeah it was it it had nothing to do with like trying to find a less painful route it was all about just trying to to find what is what is the route that is going to work best for whatever you're trying to achieve? So is Spotify's picked this, picked up your songs, what happens next? Where are you going from there? So, and by the way, the, the reason for the Spotify and the billboard chart 
this wasn't some magic wand that like I got whisked away to like, you know, a million views. This was, I built these red boxes, these red vinyl boxes that had a, a card in like a holiday card inside that when you opened it started playing music and it played my song straight from the hook. And, and, and so like you, there was no push and play. You just opened it up and started playing the song for you. And then I had the CD attached to the inside with a little note. And I sent these to Spotify, Pandora, and 200 hot AC radio stations, 20 of which picked up the song and started to play it. And Spotify, all of a sudden, it hits Discover Weekly. And it had been out for a long time. So, you know, it's it was, I, I took on the hat of how do I market music? I, I'm basically my own label. And I've got to get people to listen to it and to take the time to listen to it. So I got to present myself in a unique way. And that's what I believe was was the success of of why that happened. And I feel like so many artists struggle with, and I I can relate to this because I did too. Of I just want to make it on the merits of my own music, or I want to make it on the merits of my own art, whatever your art form is. Mm-hmm. And you know, there my perspective is that probably the greatest artists of our time we don't know about because they had that mentality. And it is until somebody is marketing your music for you, you have to do it yourself or find, you know, find a super fan, somebody who truly loves what you're doing and who's got a marketing mind to let them do it. But, you know, you, you have to get it in front of people and this, and you know, businesses don't blow up without a sales team or a marketing team. And it's no different in art. You know, there's art is not, art is not any more magic than any, any type of business. And so you have to get it in front of people so that they can fall in love with, you know, and, and really relate to what it is that you're, that you're saying and putting out there. So, but yeah, that, so I got to a point with music where the next step for me was to really hit the road and start touring significantly. And by this point, you know, I'm three years in, so I'm 37, 38, and I realize I don't want that life that I don't want to be waking up in a different city in a van. Like I love the idea of being in like a fancy tour van and like staying in fancy hotels to another country. Sure. That's great. But like, that's a long way away. And, and the lifestyle I wanted wasn't the one of, of a vagabond. You know, I, I wanted a different life for myself. And that was a hard pill to swallow because my, my artistic dream had been becoming a rock star for a long, long, long time. And there was this moment I'll never forget where the last show, the last big show I played, I was opening up at a Atlanta venue called Vinyl for a guy who whose music I loved. And I had a lot of respect for him as an artist. And, you know, the 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 booking agent had to submit my music to him and his team to make sure that they were okay with me opening up for him. And backstage, you know, I met him and and I thanked him for the opportunity. And, and, and he, and he, he was like, he was like, he's like, no, thank you. He's like, you're, I legitimately love your music. Like the second I heard it, I was like, we have to play We This guy has to play with us. And he's like, I've been looking forward to this show to hear you play. And I was like, whoa. And then that day, a scout for a country music label happened to be in, in the crowd and came up to me and, you know, got my information and submitted me, you know, to their people and nothing ever, ever came of that. But both of those events and that night, it made me realize that 
the reasons I was pursuing music were, were not the reasons I should continue pursuing it. They, it was very, for me, it was coming from like life in the suburbs and being a lawyer and this corporate life. Like I had a chip on my shoulder to prove that I wasn't, I was a true artist because the artists that I was around, you know, are, were people who had, you know, come from nothing. They had, all they'd known was music. They'd like, they've, you know, spent their entire life doing only that. And it's hard to feel like you're one of them or that you belong when your experience has been so incredibly different. And, and that night quieted that voice. And, 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 and the, I was like, I am, I am good enough. Like if I, I could continue forward, if I want, if I really wanted to, it's going to take more time, but that's, that's, a, that's possible. And it was only once I got to that point that I was able to go, maybe this isn't exactly what I want. And, you know, I had also gotten into screenwriting and, and directing, falling in love with filmmaking as, as a way of telling stories. Cause it's, you can probably tell talking with me, like I love telling stories. And so, yes, you, you know, do. I looked at that and, and <laughs> And you tell them well. I mean, that's going back. That's how you and I met was, you know, figuring out branding and stuff like that. And you are a wordsmith like nobody else. Just your ability to craft and tell stories. It's not just telling a story, but you impart the emotion, you know, the you draw people in. And so that's that's one thing you are super, super gifted at. And you have a whole slew of things, whole plethora of, of talents and gifts. But yeah, the writing and the storytelling is definitely um, something Thank you, you, Mike. You, you, you possess. I appreciate so, that. Yeah. And, that's, and that's what I want to do with my life. I want to keep telling stories in some way, shape, or form. And who knows? That might be music again. Probably will be music in some way, shape, or form in the future. But opening myself up to not, not limiting what that could look like. You know, and then whether it's... TV show concepts, feature films, songs, these silly little Facebook videos, you know, Spartan artists, whatever it is, like there's, I'm telling the story. And that's, that's kind of the guiding light. So long as I'm doing that, I know I'm not, I'm not going astray. But it seems like from the experiences that you've gone through, you're now in a unique position to be able to draw upon all that and, and craft your story, not just from Hey, I know this is how I want it to visually come across, but now you're evoking the emotions, drawing, you know, drawing from that on the musical side as well. So you can, you can see it in, in all the aspects of it. So it seems like just how you've talked about before, like you didn't expect this, but now it's put you in a unique place to, to be able to tell these stories. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're completely right. And, you know, you, you have to live the story before you can tell it. So, you know, I don't, I don't regret anything that I've, I've gotten to experience in life, good or bad. And yeah, I understood. And it comes across. So when you went from just realizing your, you know, music is not, is not the, the vehicle to get you there. I know you've, you've done directing like can you walk us through kind of what you've had experience wise in the film industry? Yeah. So there was an amazing moment that was kind of like one of those little yellow arrows on the Camino. That's just pointing you in the right general direction. And this was 
the month before I went off on the Camino, actually, and I was flying out from Atlanta to LA to meet with one of our advisors to talk about possibly um, selling the company. Now, meanwhile, I had also just started the Tin Man project. You know, I had a couple songs and I was even back then at the very beginning, I was thinking, well, there's, I'm going to have to have a marketing vehicle if, if this is ever going to happen. And, and I thought, man, what if there was a TV show that was scripted? Cause that's what people really fall in love with, but it was real musicians and they were, you know, they're, they're being hyperbolized versions of themselves. But if you fall in love with the music and the show, you can actually go see them live. It's kind of like uh, the monkeys, I think is a perfect example, you know, what that old show was. And that's the label put that show together to be a marketing agent for that band and the flight of the Concord, you know, you've seen this done, but I had a, you know, mine was going to be more like the, you know, kind of like a darker dramedy. And I had an idea for the show, but I, I didn't know what a treatment was, which is like this, you know, specific kind of document you, you pitch a TV show with. And I end up, getting upgraded to first class on this flight to LA for the first time ever. I just, I'd been flying so much. It was the first time I got upgraded on points that felt great. And this guy sits down next to me on the plane. He's talking on his phone and he keeps saying words like pilot and actors. And like, this guy's in the industry. So we get to talking and, and I ask him, like, this is a very ignorant question, but what's a treatment? I'm supposed to write one for this idea that I have. And, and he just laughs and like thumbs through his briefcase and pulls out a treatment. And he's like, read this one. I think this one's really good. I'm like, great. So That's I read right this there? thing just right there. And so, you know, I, I devour this thing and I, and I pull out my computer and I just start writing because it's all in my head. And now I've got a format, you know, structure to put it in. And I literally write my first television treat treatment next to this guy, whoever he is on the plane. And I still have him cornered for like another 45 minutes by the time I finish before we land in LA. So I decide what better time to ask him to read it than now. <laughs> that poor guy, like that's like in music, it'd be like, will you listen to my demo? You're like, oh, how am I going to tell this person? It's terrible. You know, like you're preparing yourself for this. And, and he reads it and he just keeps looking over at me and he's like, you've never written a treatment before? I'm like, no. You just wrote this right now on the plane? Yeah. And he finishes it. And he's like, this is really good. He's like, it's, I'd give it a B plus as it is. And you just wrote it. Like, I think you can get it to an A. And like, here's what you just went into, like, what he would do with it. And, and he's like, why, you know, work, work on this. And when you get it up, send it to me. Okay. Like, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm the executive vice president of comedy development for Sony Pictures Entertainment. Oh, my gosh. So wow. that moment changed my, the, the trajectory of my life. Now, that show did not end up getting made. Like he was, I would have had to give up a lot of creative control. I mean, I was a nobody in Hollywood to do it, you know, their way. Or he was like, or you can go try to do this yourself. And if it works, you can put it out online, do webisodes, whatever, you know, then we can try to pitch that. Little did I know I would spend the next four to five years of my life trying to 
make this TV show concept. It's the reason I bought my first camera. It's the reason I took acting classes. It's the reason I've read a litany of screenwriting and directing books. I ended up directing the pilot and writing the pilot, multiple versions of it, like building a whole new network, like learning how to get people to rally around making this film. And like, it just, it, it was, you know, trial by fire and becoming an indie filmmaker. And I just, I just fell in love with everything having to do with TV and film. And it's funny because like for a kid who grew up loving his dad's VCR, making stop animations when he was eight and these silly little videos, like, I don't know why that was never a thought of something to do with my life that just pops in as I'm pushing 40. And, and yeah, and like that, something about that, settled into me where I no longer had like the five-year plan, you know, with whether it was anything I'd done, the tech company, music, like there was always like a five-year plan. What are you going to do, Marsh? What if it doesn't work out? Well, then I'll switch and I'll go do something else. And now it's like, what are you going to do with this in five years? You haven't sold a show, write more shows. (laughs) And I'm just going to keep doing that. And then somewhere between here and death, something will probably happen. <laughs> like I just, I, it, as long as I can keep putting food on the table, doing, doing things, giving myself the chance to keep writing. Like, I don't know about many people who's, who spend, you know, 40 years committing their life to getting better at a particular craft and just nothing ever happens. <laughs> Most people just never spend that much of their life working on thing specific. Uh, you're tenacious, man. You persevere through stuff. So it's like, Something's going to happen. It'll be culmination of everything. So it's like, you know, like right now with, with creating the content videos, it's like, I don't know that you could, you know, never, like it was like, Oh, like, like I, like, I don't, they're not like, I'm not moving people's soul with this content. And it's like, Nope, you're right. I'm not, but I am learning what keeps people's attention. I'm learning how to stop the scroll. I'm learning how to pull somebody in and keep them for, you know, three minutes, which is a huge feat in today's social media age, you know? So like, and that's going to translate to the way that I write scenes and the way that I direct when I get to do that again, you know, and it's, it's, it's a skill set and a, a uniqueness that I, a lot of people don't have. It is definitely unique, man. And I'm looking forward to continuing to watch how things progress and the different videos you're releasing out there. So how are you, um, you've shared that each year has a word associated with it. How are you continuing to move through growing yourself and, and going through not having the five-year plan? Like what, what is it that keeps you moving and growing? Oh man. I mean, so many things, you know, that's, that's the beauty of growth is it's not, it's not hard to find opportunities and moving away from the South. You know, I mean, I lived my entire life in Atlanta. I then spent one year in Nashville, but going back to Atlanta frequently and then moving out to Vegas, you know, this is the really my first major adult move and I'm very close to my parents. And so this is the first time I've been, you know, they haven't had the luxury of seeing me on a frequent basis. And so all of that's very new despite being 41 and having to, you know, start life over physically in the, in a new environment and make new friends and, you know, while maintaining the relationships, you know, from back home that has been challenging and through challenge, you know, has come the growth 
And, you know, I think in, in a relationship, again, it, it gets down to perspective because there, there is no romantic relationship that is just perpetually easy. It might start that way. It's going to get hard. And <laughs> amen. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's work, man. I mean, it's work mm -hmm. on both, both, you know, both sides. But, but what I've learned is it only gets hard when either or both people butt up against the end of their comfort zone. And to move on, to get past that requires growth. It requires looking in and being like, I'm doing something. There is some way that I am being that is resulting in this situation, this friction, whatever that is happening over and over and over again. Well, you're not going to get through that staying the way that you are. And so you got to, you got to look at your partner as a beautiful gift, as being a mirror to show you what your, the ways that you are not being, it's not to say you're not good, like you're always good enough, but it's just a matter of it's getting that much better and expanding your comfort zone that much more. And so, you know, that's Hillary is such a blessing in my life for, for challenging me in ways that I've never been challenged before. And I'm having to continue to grow and to get better and to look at things differently, you know, to improve our relationship. So, and that, that can happen with family relationships that can happen with friendships that, you know, now, you know, learning and challenging myself and trying to figure out these three minute videos on Facebook and, I mean, that was, that's been challenging in so many ways, whether it's looking at like, I'm used to creating art that, you know, I deeply believe in what I have to say. And this is the opposite. This is what silly prank or goofball thing can I do, you know, to like make someone laugh or go, oh my gosh, you know, or whatever reaction that we're trying to get out of them. And, you know, that's not typically where my head is at, you know, it's, it's, it's not art, but it's entertainment. And, and I'm having to learn that, which is challenging me in so many ways. There's something in your life that, you know, is, is asking you to grow right now, no matter who you are. Yeah. And I, I think it would be challenging where it's, you talked about it's one in nine and the stuff that you're expecting to go viral isn't what goes viral. So it's almost like, all right, now I have to figure out what it is about that I, I missed here and what did I get here and, and trying to, to hit that target. And we think that the stuff that you're expecting is almost like near and dear to you. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're holding it as a prized, not possession, but a prized creation. And when it doesn't go where, where you're wanting, it's, it's that same thing you've talked about of letting go of your expectations. So does that, as, as you see reactions, is that something that's also giving you an opportunity to grow as well? Absolutely. And to not hold anything too dear, you know, that's, a, that's been a lesson I've you know, needed to learn for a long time. So yeah, that's been a great area. Awesome. Well, Marshall, thank you so much for sharing all your transitions, your amazing stories. Really, really been an honor to have you on here. How can people find you, hook up with you, and uh, how can they find uh, your, your mindset teaching within Spartan? Yeah. So the easiest thing to do, go to thisisthetinman.com. 
This is the tinman.com and that's kind of my home base. You can get to Spartan Artists from there. There's a link right at the top and that'll take you straight to a, a quiz that I've built to help you understand kind of where in that mindset you might be, you know, might be the most room for growth as well as a link to the course itself. And then also, you know, it's got my music, it's got my films that this is the Tin Man, everything's there. I even have a, a free email course that kind of walks you through all the life lessons I learned along the Camino that you can sign up for too. So this is the tinman.com and it's all right there. Without having to walk 13 miles a day. Marshall, thank you again, my friend. Mike, truly my pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.